Thanks for tuning into the Central Church Podcast. We exist to introduce people to Jesus and help them follow Him. To learn more about Central, access tons of content, and find the location nearest you, download our Central Church app. But for now, we hope you enjoy this message, and we're so glad you could join us today. All right. Central family, welcome, welcome. We are honored today. We've got a special guest, and in just a moment, I'm going to introduce him. But before I do, let me just say a big welcome to our locations. Huge shout out to Central Summerlin and Central Southern Highlands, to Sunrise Mountain, to Central Kingman, and those watching online, those joining us in our partnership with God Behind Bars and different prison facilities. Welcome, you guys. It's good to have you. And I'm so honored today, Pastor David Hughes is here as our guest speaker. He's gonna bring an incredible message and he's no stranger to the Central family. Uh, Pastor David has uh, ministered faithfully in South Florida for the past uh, couple decades. They're at Church by the Glades. He and his uh, amazing wife, Lisa, they have three amazing kids. You can tell a lot about somebody by their kids and their kids are remarkable. Charlie, Victoria, and Zane, just uh, incredible family. We love them dearly. Thank you for being with us and let's give a huge big warm central welcome to pastor david Hughes. oh thank you so much and i don't remain standing here for a moment remain standing for a moment because i want to give you a moment to celebrate something uh, two things quickly come to mind before you sit down to all the locations two things to celebrate number one central I'm back at Central. Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going like, to say three. When I say three, I want you to clap, throw things, scream. All right, I want you to go off when I say three, but here are the two things I want to celebrate. You are in a remarkable church. Sometimes you need someone from the outside to give you perspective. The scope and scale of this church, unbelievable. What God is doing through you. I know you know it's a hope-giving, life-giving, turf-taking church, but the way you are reaching people... I'm listening backstage. Feed the city. The numbers you guys deal with, you're trying to feed 10,000 families. That's 40,000 people for a week. Uh, the campuses all over the place, hundreds of thousands of people watch online. This is no longer a church. You are a movement of God in this generation. Wait, 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 wait. And then the other thing is, of course, all glory for all good in the church goes to God. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. So he gets all the credit, all the glory, but he uses leadership. And you have so many talented leaders at this church, layers of dedicated leaders, but your pastors, I know judges said nice things about me, but listen, this is not good manners or pastoral hyperbole. You have two of the most amazing leaders, Judd and Lori Wilhite. They are so bright. They are so talented. They are so smart. I wouldn't like them, except they're so likable. You know, they're just phenomenal people. You have rare leadership. Two things to be grateful for. Ready? One, two, three. Celebrate them all. There you go. All campuses. Wow. And you may be seated. So good to be back with Central. I, I, I love this church. I, I love Judd. I love you. I'm here out of pure selfishness. It's so fun to hang out with you guys for a weekend and step into this series on relationships, house rules. How relevant is that? Because, you know, relationships are the greatest thing in life and the most difficult thing in life. Amen? Right? I mean, you have people in your life. You love these people like crazy, and you have other people just make you crazy. Maybe it's the same people. 
right? You have people you love like crazy. You're trying to navigate relationships with people you love. You're trying to manage people that make you crazy. In fact, just make sure if that last one touches somebody. Do you have someone like that? Do you have someone in your life? They're, I mean, you're glad they're in your life, but they're weird, right? They have bad manners, bad hygiene. They're space invaders. They're close talkers. Do you have someone like that? Do you have somebody? I mean, God bless them. You love them. You're grateful for them, or they're making you crazy. Do you have any weird? Raise your hand at all locations if you have a weird person. Raise your hand. Everybody, keep your hand up. If you have a weird person, you're trying to figure out. You're at house rules. Come on, raise your hand. Everybody, if you have one, if you have at least one, raise. I'm looking at there here at this camp, Henderson. Keep your hands up. I see some of y'all don't have your hands up. You don't have. You don't have a weird person. You don't have your. Or you're the weird person we're worried about. You're that person. <laughs> we're to, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're trying to figure you out. And so, uh, man, relationships. And uh, there's some folks here that you came for Easter and you came back after that because you're trying to navigate relationships. I watched Judd's message online last week. Phenomenal, practical, biblical, great handles. And so he asked me to talk about relationships. And so I'm like, man, what, what do I do? I am qualified. I, I have a family. Judd mentioned I have, I have, I think I have a picture of my family. I have an awesome wife and three remarkable kids. My kids are, by God's grace, they're, they're good kids. They're smart kids. They, they love God. And the best thing about my kids this weekend is they're back home in Florida. And I'm alone with their mama right here in Vegas. So uh, uh, that, that's a good thing. Get away with mama every once in a while. Leave the kids at home. Um, and I'm thinking, so what do I say? How do I follow Judd? Because Judd is such a great communicator. So here's my solution. Plagiarism. I thought for my talk, I, I'm going to play, I'm going to rip off somebody else on relationships. And my theory is this, you're going to rip someone off, rip off the best. If you're going to plagiarize, rip off somebody who's really, really smart. So I, I went to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, and something he said about relationships in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to focus on the final verse in that chapter, and it is maybe the best thing on relationships in all of literature, not just the Bible. So what Paul says, we'll look at the 13th verse in just a moment of chapter 13, but get a running start, a little context. Paul says in the 13th chapter, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mystery, and have such faith, my prayers remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I sell all my possessions to feed the poor, or deliver my body over to be burned as a martyr, yet do not have love, I am nothing. Then he says in the fourth verse, he says, love is patient. Love is kind, it is not jealous, does not brag, it is not arrogant, doesn't act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, uh, does not take into account a wrong suffered, uh, does not rejoice in the righteous, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it should be done away. For we know in part, so we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial should be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. But I became a man and put away childish things. For now we look into a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now I know partially, but that day I'll know fully, just as I am fully known. Then finally, chapter 13, verse 13, on, on the screens at every campus. And I've highlighted a few words, like four words. And I know you guys will read with Pastor Judd. So right now on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Think it's coming up? I hope it's coming up. Here we go. Here we go. Okay, you're gonna read the highlighted words. Here we go together. Ready? But now, faith, hope, love. So Paul says these components are vital for relationships. 
You want to navigate the difficult people, maximize the positive relationship, faith, hope, and love. They've highlighted another word, and that's in bold text. I want you to shout this one. This one I think is an intriguing word in this statement. Ready? Here we go again. But now, faith, hope, love, abide these three. Great job. These three, faith, hope, and love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And I read statements like this in my Bible, and this is the paramount relationship passage in all the Scripture, and I wonder why the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say, these three, you want to have successful relationships, you want to maximize your marriage, be a good parent, good friend, good employee, these three, these faith, hope, and love, these I thought, why only three? Why did God choose only three? I mean, relationships are so complex, or so sophisticated. I, I need more rules than that, right? How about these seven? Isn't seven the biblical perfect number? Or how about these 12? Aren't there 12 apostles and 12 tribes? That, well, 12, uh, John Maxwell, business people, wrote a book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Shouldn't there be 21 laws of relationships? Because relationships are so sophisticated. Why just three? Why just three? When I, would you please shout the word three? Three. No, I said, would you shout the word three? Three. Three, I wonder why, hmm, I look at things, but I like that, I go, hmm, why three? And I started to think about this week preparing for death. I thought, well, three is a relevant number for this great church. Three, uh, you're a one church, you're in three states, you have these physical locations in Nevada, Arizona, and Florida, that's, that's three. Uh, Central, you're also in three countries, physical locations in the U.S., Mexico, and Australia. What's up, Newcastle, by the way? Wow, that's remarkable. Pastor Judd last week in his message, great message on a God-first faith, talked about three big ideas. Three big ideas. Do you recall those ideas? What, what did he tell us to do last week? He, he said, uh, make your faith your own. He said, prioritize church, number two. And, and number three, be generous with God. Three ideas. Three is big in the Bible. Shows up a bunch. Uh, uh, God, God is one God, yet he reveals himself three ways. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's, that's three, right? Three, um, uh, God introduced himself. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That, that would be three. So three shows up a lot in the Bible. Maybe God wired us to lay hold intellectually of maybe three things. So as you come to every week of house rules, which by the way is a very good idea, every week, right? Every week, make this a non-negotiable. Maybe you find three changes, three points of application in your relation. Maybe you find three things that God's going to lay in your heart that you're going to begin to do in your relationship, like one, two, three. Maybe one's a, a right now kind of thing. I mean, something you apply right now, and over the next three days, maybe you're going to recognize something you're doing that's dysfunctional in your relationships. You're going to change that right now. Tell someone you're sorry, ask forgiveness right now. Maybe a second thing is, a, is it'll take more time. Maybe it's a three-month kind of thing. You're also going to start right now, but we want to see results for three months. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a relationship between you and, and your Algebra two teacher, student, maybe... You know, you're kind of mailing in your, your maths, and you're, you're smarter than that. You've got a C minus right now, but you're going to start working on that over the next three months, next semester, bring it up to an A, right? Uh, maybe a, a third thing's a bigger thing. Maybe it's a three year kind of thing. Also, start right now. Uh, maybe, maybe you've broken someone's trust. Maybe you've made a relationship mistake. You, you've broken a vow. Maybe they have forgiven you, and they're trying to work it out with you, but they don't trust you yet. And, that frustrates you because they don't trust you yet. Well, guess what? You've, you've broken their trust. Trust takes time. So maybe over the course, beginning right now, over the next three years, you're going to be hyper accountable. 
You're going to be so trustworthy. You're going to be so black and white. You're going to give them the access passcodes to every technology you have. And over three years, we'll pray God will change. So maybe three things. Shout the word three. Three. Paul said faith, hope, and love. These three. These three. If I have time, I'll circle back around to that idea. But let's, let's take these relationship principles one at a time. Paul said one thing you got to plug into your relationships, maximize your relationships, is, is faith. Is faith. When I say the word three, you shout the word faith. Ready? One, two, three. Faith. Faith. So we talk about faith a lot in church, of course, and maybe you're new to Central, maybe new to church, and you're like, yeah, faith. I, I wish I did faith better. I, I, I'm coming to church. I'm trying to figure out faith. I mean, I see all these people, like at this campus, doing faith, and I'm a little jealous. I wish I could, wish I could turn on the faith feelings. I wish I could figure out the, those feelings of faith, but I can't do it. How do you flip the switch and get those faith feelings. Who told you faith was feelings? And we think maybe you kind of feel it, but I found in my experience, typically that's not the case. Uh, faith is more than feelings. Faith is, you know, what is faith? Faith is kind of a fuzzy, weird concept. Is, is it fuzzy, warm, God, faith, feelings? I think not. The best definition of faith, um, what is faith, is uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. Maybe it didn't help you. Okay, uh, Levi Lesko says, faith is when you begin to believe God for the, the invisible, God delivers the impossible. Or maybe this one, uh, Dr. Tony Evans says, you want to define what is faith? What is faith? Uh, Dr. Evans says, faith is simply acting like God is telling the truth. I like that. that that's straightforward, right? It is acting like God is telling the truth. So faith is not what you feel. Faith is what you do. Faith is taking the Word of God, seeing what's in the Word of God, and just taking the Word of God and begin to apply it to your life. So when God says, make a move, regardless of how you feel, man, I'm not feeling it, big deal. Do the stuff. See, faith is going when God says, go. Faith has more to do with your feet than your feelings. That's what faith is. God says, move. God says, change. Oh, thank you for the six people clapping in that. Come on, that was better than that. You do what God has called you to do. You make, that's what faith is. It's obeying the word. Now, second idea with faith is this. So faith, that's the what of faith, but the where of faith is important, meaning this. That sometimes we place our faith in the wrong sources. Get relationships is the topic today. So I'm trying to figure out relationships. I want healthy relationships. I want growing relationships. I want to get better at relationships. So where do I place my faith? Because if you notice in our culture, there's all kinds of relationship noise, all kinds of relationship advice and relationship gurus, dispensing opinions. So, man, where do I place my faith when it comes to something as vital as my relationships? Because, you know, if, if I place my faith in less than a fully credible source, I'll be disappointed my, with my relationship results. You with me? If you put your, you look confused, you look confused. See, if you place your faith in something that's not fully accurate or credible, you'll be disappointed with what you get at the end. It, it just won't work. You look, you need an illustration. Okay, let me, let me use one. Uh, I love the creativity of your church. I watched Easter, lost my mind. I lost Christmas, oh my gosh, what you guys did. The strip should be embarrassed. They can't keep up with you guys. It, it's, it's amazing. Oh man, oh, weekend, you did a series in the past leveraging Hollywood movies. Uh, at the movies, I think it was called, and Judd kind of integrated himself into movies and themes, and y'all did one of my favorites. I'm old school. I love the original Rocky. The original Rocky was a great movie. Anybody enjoy the movie Rocky? Put your hands up. I'm talking about the first one. Yeah, won the Academy Award, I think 19. 
76. In fact, I think we have a picture of, of Judd as Rocky. Do we have that? Do we have that? There you go. It's, oh, yeah. Judd was working out, man. Looked good for that picture. So I remember watching that movie for the first time. I was so inspired by Rocky. And there's something I did based on placing faith in Rocky that I, I regret to this day. There's a famous scene in Rocky, you might recall, where Rocky, as he gets the big fight with Apollo Creed, he's, he's having breakfast. He's making breakfast. It's his first training day. Do you recall this scene? All right. And so he's having, he's having eggs for breakfast. He's having some raw eggs. And so Rocky wakes up. It's clearly early in the day. And he starts putting raw eggs into a glass. You think, oh, he's going to make an omelet. That's good. He's going to scramble some eggs. And, and so Rocky is, is doing the raw egg thing. And so I'm watching this scene with fascination. I'm probably 11 years old. And, and Rocky, young people, now Rocky, by today's standards, is a little soft. And rich, but back in the day, he was jacked. And I was a painfully skinny kid. And I'm watching Rocky make this breakfast. He's cracking these raw eggs. And then instead of cooking the eggs, y'all remember the famous scene? I think I have a picture of the scene. Do you have a? Do you have the scene? All right, right there it is. Rocky doesn't cook the eggs, doesn't fry the eggs, doesn't scramble the eggs. Rocky drinks the raw eggs. Drinks them just down, right? They're running down his chin and stuff. I'm watching this as a kid with fascination. Like, <gasps> and like, I go home and tell my mom, Mom, that's it. I'm really skinny. They bought me my first weight set. I'm like 11 years old. I'm trained on the back porch. I'm so thin. I said, Mom, forget like the Pop-Tarts and the Lego waffles for breakfast. Get me some eggs and don't cook them. And this is true. Based on Rocky, faith in Rocky, for every morning for about 10 years, my breakfast was raw eggs. I would crack open raw eggs, believing if I ate the raw eggs, I would look like Rocky. It was all said and done. And by the way, some things look gross, but when you eat them, they're not as bad as they look. Raw eggs are not in that category. Raw eggs are as bad as they look. And so day after day, I would just choke down. I would, when I was a kid, didn't know better, I would drink raw eggs. I would just, I, could you believe I was that stupid? I would do, I'm smarter now than that. Maybe not. And that was nasty as a kid, and it's nasty today. Now, the moment I did that, a plethora of thoughts run through your mind. You know, like, gross, crazy. But someone was thinking this. Someone's thinking in one of the locations, thinking, oh, dangerous. Someone's thinking, salmonella, salmonella. Because you've heard a report that you can contract salmonella for, 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 all, for all eggs, right? Consuming raw eggs. And guess what? Okay, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's a conclusion. That's a fake conclusion based on inaccurate information. Yes, you can, but it's, it's very rare. Uh, here's a study. Uh, North Carolina State University Agricultural Department said on average to contract salmonella from eating eggs you buy from a store that have been refrigerated in America, you have to eat 10,000 eggs. I'm pretty safe. I ate four, right? So that conclusion you have is based on a false premise. But I'm not judging you. I found out much later in life that sadly your body can assimilate the protein from a cooked egg way better than a raw egg. I'd have done way better all those years making a frittata than choking down raw eggs, right? I had a false premise. Relationships are the most precious thing in life. But where are you basing your information, faith, on relationships? Is it your media? Is it culture? Is it Hollywood? Is it reality shows? I mean, guess what? A lot of us, that's how we do relationships. That's like taking financial advice from broke people. 
Let me tell you, where I would be getting my source of accurate information on my relationships, central. I would be here every single week as my pastor downloads the Word of God because the Bible is the ultimate relationship manual. God created relationships. He will show you how to maximize and have healthy relationships. I would be here. I would soak it all in. Then I would do what the Bible says. Paul said there are three things. Three things. Shout the word three. Three. Come on. Shout the word three. Three. He says one is faith. One is faith. Okay, the most famous one he says love love shout the word love i'll say three you shout the word love one two three love. oh now no one's surprised you got to have love as a dynamic in every single intimate relationship no one's surprised about that but you might find this definition that we've been looking at together surprising as paul kind of turns our concept of love upside down when you think about love especially maybe romantic love or sexual love you think about emotion you think about chemistry and that's not inappropriate but that's what paul talks about let me put it on the screen like one of those, yeah, those verses I quoted really quickly. Uh, verse 4 is on the screen right now at your campus, verse 4, where it says, you know, love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, love is not brags, not arrogant. Those, those aren't the way you feel. They're behaviors. So again, love is what you do. Love is not what you feel. It's what, what you do. And let me pick one that maybe is like countercultural for us. Um, okay, how about love is kind? Love is patient. Love is kind. When I say three, shout the word kind. One, two, three kind so so one way to be loving is to be kind so are you being kind in your relationships and you're probably going well maybe uh sometimes because we live in this society that kind of devalues kind that kind is kind of seen as a weak response no no no. kind i'm a raving fan of kind love is kind, kind by the way don't think kind is weak no kind can be a superpower kind can be so let me let me let me paraphrase the, paraphrase the eminent theologian Rihanna. Don't mistake my kindness for weakness. Kindness, you, you start being kind, because you are kind with some people. You're probably kind with people you know casually. You're kind with acquaintances. You're kind with clients. With clients, you use your manners. You say thank you. You listen to their stories. You don't fact check them, right? You don't roll your eyes. You're kind to your boss. You don't even like her. You're kind to that boss. You don't like him. You use kindness, but when you get to the front door, you leave your kindness there on the stoop. And you come in your house, and you're rude, and you're abrupt, and impatient, not gracious. Bring kindness home. Kindness is transformative. You practice love by way of habitual kindness. It changes things. It transforms things. It transforms attitudes. It transforms expectations, environments, outcomes. It diffuses difficult people. It disarms uh, difficult situations. It will change things. An example of the power of kindness to change things. This is an ancient piece of literature, not the Bible. One of the King Arthur legends is a story about uh, when the kingdom was cursed. A, a wizard cursed uh, Camelot and told King Arthur unless he could solve a riddle, the kingdom would remain cursed. It went for about a year. The deadline was coming up for the curse to become permanent. And an old woman came into the court. She was ugly. She was haggard, weathered, missing teeth. And she came up to the king and said, Sire, I know the answer to your riddle. I can save the kingdom. He said, great, tell me the answer. He said, well, first I have a price. I have spent my entire life, the old woman said, without love. I want to know love. So my price is this. One of your handsome, noble knights must marry me. After she marry, he marries me, I'll tell you the answer to the riddle. Save the kingdom. At this point, King Arthur looked at the knights at the round table, and they're all like, oh. Mm, mm. And Sir Galwin, he's not the bravest. He's not the most famous 
But the most noble of King Arthur's knights finally stepped forward and said, Sire, I will marry this young lady if it will save the kingdom. When he agreed, she told the answer to the riddle, the kingdom was saved. Well, it's a big wedding. Now it's the wedding night. He's in the bedchamber. Sir Gowan's going to take one for the team. The old woman walks in, but she's been magically transformed into a beautiful woman. She is stunning. She's the most beautiful woman that he's ever seen. He takes her in his arms, and as he kisses her, she says, wait, 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 my husband. One thing you must know, I too have been cursed, and I'm a beautiful maiden half of every day for 12 hours, daytime or nighttime. You choose which one. Sir Galwin's thinking, well, the nighttime is the right time. I'm going to go with that, right? But he said, he said well, yeah, you know, I, I want nighttime but said to his bride, it's your beauty, so it's your choice. And when he spoke with kindness, she was transformed 24-7 to a beautiful person. Kindness changes things. Kindness transforms things. It will revolutionize your relationships. Kind. Three. Three. Why did Paul say three? Three things. Not seven things. Not 13 things. Not 20. Three things. We've covered two of the three. We've covered faith. We've covered love. Which one we're forgetting? Um, um, pardon me? Pardon me? Hope, 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 hope. Let's jump to hope. When I say three, in fact, let's shout the word three. Ready? Three. Ready? When I say one, two, three, you say the word hope now. Ready? One, two, three. Hope. Hope. A vital component of a relationship, especially a broken relationship, is hope. And maybe you're here right now and you feel like your relationships are so toxic, so dysfunctional, there's no hope for your relationship. Now, please don't answer out loud, but what is... What is the worst relationship tragedy you can face? Wow. There's so many possible answers for that kind of question. So many times we go through relational moments that are so very, very difficult and raw and painful. Rejection, a breakup, a divorce, loss of someone we, lose, uh, loss of someone we love, um, maybe a parent losing a child. Hope. I, I learned from this church. I watch you guys online. I learned so much from your pastor. I'm so glad he's my friend. Uh, and I learned so much, and I, I have the honor of serving on the board here at Central that when you guys went through here in Vegas, the shooting, largest mass murder right in American history, I think. Um, and I watched you guys shepherd a community through incredible relationship pain. In fact, I, I was watching live that service you guys quickly constructed. And Judd, it was, it was magnificent here at Henderson. And, and uh, man, wept as I watched you guys navigate that. And, help the city deal with the relationship pain and you brought the hope of the church and the hope of Jesus as I watched you guys I had no idea that God was preparing my heart for a similar storm our churches are so alike our churches you know my church church by the glades and central I mean demographically we're the same we reach people far from God we reach people don't have a lot of church background your church is okay not to be okay my church is no perfect people allowed and we, we pastor the same people I just have more Haitians and Jamaicans than you, man. That's the only difference. <laughs> and another way our churches are not dissimilar is two of my campuses are 10 minutes away from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High. And so about six months after you guys went through your tragedy here in Vegas, we had the largest mass shooting in a school in this history. And we had a bunch of Douglas families in our church. We were in Texas. We flew back in. I'm calling Judd, said, Judd, I need your map, man. Help me with this one. What did you learn? What went well? How could you help people? And, and we did a service right away, quickly constructed. And Judd, if you'd have watched it, we ripped off your whole service. We started out with Let It Be, just like you guys did. We borrowed everything you guys did because it was so brilliant. And we had the honor of um, trying to help our community. And 
uh, we have these families. We hosted multiple viewings and multiple funerals. Some of these were our kids. And it, it was devastating. Maybe the worst thing relationally you go through is a parent losing a child to senseless, cowardly violence. But I saw our community come together. And, and South Florida is not known for kind or nice. I mean, no one bakes you a pie when you move into town in South Florida. But our city came together. But yet at the church, we had something no one else had to offer. We had the hope that is found in a king who defeated death on day number three. We had the hope of the gospel. That's the one commodity we dispense at the church. No matter how bleak your circumstances, how, how hopeless it may seem, we have the hope that is found in Christ because everything changed on the third day. Three is a cool number. Three is dear to this church. Pastor gave you three ideas last week. You have three campus, uh, three states with campuses, three countries with campuses. Three is a big deal in the Bible. God is a God who shows himself three ways, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, introduced himself as God of three generations, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, God met the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But three, show up a whole lot when you get to the Jesus part of the Bible, best part of the Bible, by the way. We believe there are three wise men when he was born because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Jesus begins his ministry at the end of his third decade. His ministry will conclude by the time he's 33. Um, the Jesus story is told in the New Testament. That's the 27 last books in your Bible. Now, 27 is not a three, as it blows up my theory. Until you recall that 27 is three times three times three. Jesus invites three disciples to witness the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. He allows three disciples to witness his transfiguration on Mount Hermon. Three disciples are permitted to go a little deeper in the garden as he prays three times, Father, remove this cup from me, talking about the impending cross. Peter denies him three times. As predicted, the rooster crows three times. Jesus is condemned. He is beaten. He's nailed to one of three crosses. He's suspended between heaven and hell by three nails. His body bears three prominent wounds, his hands, his feet, his side. He says three things on the cross with three words. He says, Father, forgive them, the people who murder and mock him. Before he dies, he says, it is finished, three words. There were three Roman trials. There were three religious trials. They took nine hours. That's three times three. Um, it grows dark when he dies for three hours. He's placed in a tomb. Day number one, the disciples despair, don't they? His followers are in fear. Day number one, that body is still, nothing happens day number one. Day number two, it seems that sin has won and death has vanquished. The heart no longer beats. There's no blood pulsing in the vein on day number two. But on day number three, everything begins to change. You see, it's all about the three. On day number three, that body begins to reanimate. That heart beats once again. That flesh, once cold, becomes warm. Blood rushes through his veins. A mighty earthquake on day number three shakes the ground. The tombstone rolls away with a thud. Not to let Jesus out, but to let three women look inside and see that the body isn't there. Ladies, isn't it great that the first ones to witness the resurrection are three women? The first ones to preach the gospel are three women? They see an angel who says three words that changes everything. The three words, he is risen. And if my king can beat death on day number three, there's nothing in your relationship realm that my God cannot heal or bless or transform. Faith, hope, and love, 
these three. Faith is doing the stuff, not feeling the stuff. It's doing what God tells you to do. So here's a final thought before I let you go. Do you have a relationship with the king? This great undead king did all this just for you. He does not want religion from you. He wants relationship from you. He doesn't want religion from you. He wants a romance with you. And to be a saved person, you must know three things. That you and I, we fall short, man. We screw up. We blow it all the time. Try that we might. We're highly imperfect people. We're not okay. He knows that. He died on the cross, number two, to pay for our sin. And he arose again to validate his claim to be Messiah and Savior. And number three, you got to do something about it. It's not just enough to know this, you know, intellectually assent to this. You've got to make a move and give yourself by faith to Christ. You're like, well, David, how, how do I do that? How do I express that? How, how do I say, God, I want this? It says in the book of Romans, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I'd like to close this time and lead you in a salvation prayer. And if you don't know for certain and sure that you have a relationship with this God, not religion, a relationship, this is your moment. If you're thinking right now, hey, I, I'm, I don't feel ready. I don't feel qualified. I don't feel worthy. Guess what? It's not about your feelings. Faith is a choice you make. And this is your moment. You don't feel ready, the Bible says, now is the time and today is the day of your salvation. God knows more about you than you know about you. He says you're ready. So if you want to pray a salvation prayer, just, just right now, every campus, I want to ask everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes, and make this your prayer. I'll, I'll lead you in a salvation prayer. These words are not magical or anything. Just take my words, make this your quiet prayer to God. No need to pray out loud because God's a genius. He can read your mind. Pray something like, dear Jesus, yeah, I'm in. I, I want this. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know this was going to happen today. I didn't know today was my day, but you did. And you're inviting me into a relationship with you. I want that. I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes to forgiveness. I'm saying yes to salvation. I'm saying yes to freedom. I'm saying yes to this relationship with God. You rule the house that is my life. Thank you for saving me. For I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. At every location, put your hands together right now because someone near you prayed that prayer. Celebrate. Someone prayed that prayer. Someone entered into a relationship with the king that arose on day number three. And right now, what a blast to be with you again, Central. Let me give it up to your location pastor.